know, one of the things that I taught in the eight years I taught middle school was the distinction between fact, opinion, and belief, and that they all were true. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Fact, say it again. Fact, opinion, and belief. They all can be true. Well, friends, welcome back to Live, Learn, Repeat as we talk about our guiding values. This episode, we talk compassionate honesty is the best policy. And I have a candle that, no, I don't, Hannah, um, have one of those that doesn't have a slogan. Wait till you get and ask about our kitsch, you're going to die. You'll never guess what I picked out. <laughs> this will be fantastic. So we're not going to uh, set that uh, kitschy subtitle-ish of our episode up too much with some sort of story about Disney like we did on the last episode. I'm just going to ask, is it really? Is honesty really the best policy? Compassionate honesty is really the best policy. That's not the truism. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I get pretty frustrated with that. Like, what do you mean by honesty? Yeah, the truism mm-hmm. is honesty is the best policy. Like, that's what I mean. We kind of <laughs> grew up with that. A lot of us like you hear it, whether it was reinforced or not. But it's it's one that we all know. I think sometimes we um, use this truism and people use it as an excuse to just share their unreflect, you know, like unreflected, unfiltered, unfiltered perspective on that. No, that's not often the best policy. Well, this episode, we're stuck. I mean, we got, we've got all kinds of different Well, okay, stories. no, because this is why, this is why. Because if you say honesty is not the best policy, there, there's a shadow side to that. That means dishonesty, right, is good, okay? So, you know, that's so counter to how a lot of us were grown grown up. Like, honesty is the best policy. Well, I don't 100% agree with that, just like Stacey said. I think um, people use it as to hide behind it, right? And so I think you have to use discernment. I think that reflective discernment, and you have to do it in a way that is truthful. And I think there's a difference between truthful, being truthful and being honest. I think there's a distinction there. And, um, but I think the reason you're, you might be hearing crickets, Greg, is that because no one's going to be like, no, honesty is never the best policy. Like, I think there's, there's some nuance in there. I was gonna say there, there's definitely some gray area, some nuance in like, I mean, you could, we could have that whole conversation about what is truth or what is fact but like the truth is i think my from my perspective we can all only speak from like our specific location or our specific intersection of reality and so like yes when we share our perspective as the truth we're experiencing it is usually a good idea to filter it <laughs> through like some sort of kindness or like ask yourself why why am I sh- why am I sharing this specific thing? So, you know, one of the things that I taught in the eight years I taught middle school, and it started my first year of teaching religion in an Episcopal school, was the distinction between fact, opinion, and belief, and that they all were true. And I think that that, you know, 
that that gets down to this for me. Yeah, that's what I was trying to t- say. Fact, yeah. say it again. Fact, opinion, and belief. Um, and they're all, they all, you know, they all can be true. Yeah. Can I shed some context on this? I did some extensive research on this phrase. Which means he, which wait, you guys, which means that he's been Googling for the last two minutes while we've been talking about this. <laughs> that was some compassionate honesty right there. And that was right. It's only because the only person that does this faster than I do on our team is Greg. (laughs) Which is, and it's also because, as we've learned, I type really loud. So people probably heard me Googling. (laughs) So this is what um, my extensive research showed um, from (laughs) Grammarist.com. Cite your source. That's right. Honesty is the best policy is a proverb that dates to the 1500s. We will examine the meaning of the expression. And and the, whoever wrote this up says honesty is the best policy means that it is better to tell the truth than to tell a lie, no matter the consequences. The proverb is often attributed to Benjamin Franklin, um, oh, yeah, but then dude. can even be traced back to Sir Edwin Sandys from the Virginia Company. I don't know who that is. <laughs> American history, <laughs> alive and well. <laughs> American history. So, like, it, but this is an old proverb, go figure, that comes from like, these white folks. And I, but I, the reason why I bring that into here is like, there's also an ethical, like, uh, yeah. activist lens to this like i would be curious to ask the folks that came up with this proverb well let's be honest a little bit about what your what well, what your realities are and it's interesting that it set it up as opposition to telling a lie because there's also that other statement that if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all yeah which might be an interesting pair with this one right because mm-hmm. like in that case you're not telling a lie so honesty is the best policy if your other option, if your only other option is to tell a lie. Right. Mm. I like that. That's what I heard. That's what I gained out of that, like, background piece you just read, Greg. Yeah, we have talked a lot about something that I actually did not expect us to stick so conscious. Me too. With the planes. I live so close to the airport. And I'm like, somebody lives right by an airport. Yeah, it's me. It's right there. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast and he's in the middle of saying something really important, you're just going to hear a plane. And that's our contextual reality. Yeah. Right. Or, or if you're in an airplane, going into Cleveland, wave. Because we can hear your airplane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, coming into Columbus. Coming into uh, Columbus. I was say, if they're going into Cleveland, Nia's not there. And that's okay. Keep it to yourself if you're in Cleveland. Um, the thing that I didn't expect we would stick so consciously to is the is the reality. Uh, I'll, I'll really oversimplify and say the reality of oppression, which is that honesty yeah. is never and will never be the best policy to people who are not safe. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and like, this is one of this is of the four um, values that we have talked about so far. This is by far the one that I have had the most conscious thought towards that I didn't have a name for before coming to Learning Forte um, was the mm-hmm. concept that like 
honesty, because I went to a Montessori school, so this was a heavy, heavy hand on honesty is the best policy. And then also being that kid who had to take other kids (laughs) through the school experiences I discussed as well, is that like learning, okay, well, for that person... Honesty is not the best policy because it's going to get them in trouble at home. It's going to get them in trouble at school and experiencing certain things that are similar as an adult, as a professional. Um, And I, I find myself often somewhat shocked in scenarios that are similar, Um, Mm -hmm. say with even, even for us to say, you know, in, a a client meeting or something like that it's like ooh if i'm if i'm honest about this do i do i predict the reaction or not and then that changes my mm. actions that is so powerful to hear you say that about that policy for those who are in re- relation to those who may not be safe um i think that a piece of this is this is probably the one that is most important that it comes from me as the CEO. And that one of the things that happens is that people model and we've worked really hard that people call me out using this one, because if that weren't the pattern, it wouldn't happen and it couldn't happen. Um, and -hmm. I think it connects back to me from about being a woman owned and a Chickasaw owned company that, um, you know, I, I remember the first time I was dishonest about my heritage and being a member of the Chickasaw tribe. And that's exactly what it was, Nia. I was in a high school, I was a senior in high school, and I was in a college essay workshop. And I overheard the um, college counselors talking about how you had to be careful with those Indian kids, because they didn't tend to perform quite as well at college when they were away from home. And I remember it's the first time I ever didn't mark that I was white and native. Hmm. I don't know that I would have ever, Neil, without you talking about that, I don't know that I would have ever connected that experience to this value and why it's so important. Mm -hmm. But it's once again, like Sarah said in another episode, we haven't just said honesty. We've said compassionate honesty. And how we define compassion and honesty at Learning Forte is that giving and receiving respectful feedback facilitates our learning and growth. And I think for me, it's that important part is no one in our company just gives feedback or just receives feedback. Everybody at Learning Forte does both of those things. And that it's respectful feedback. And part of that then is it's not, if it is not intended to help somebody's learning and growth and it's not respectful, then it's not compassionate honesty. And that's not to say that it's, it's easier because it's compassionate, right? It's easier to hear or it's easier to give. I mean, I, I can think of some very specific times where I have had to speak compassionately honesty to Stacy. And I, and I always start with, Okay, I'm going to say something and it makes me want to throw up. <laughs> like, because that's, that's how my anxiety manifests yeah. itself. And, you know, it just, it does not make it any easier, but it makes it right. Mm-hmm. 
to me. I think what you're saying there, Hannah, is it creates um, a sacred pause that mm-hmm. forces us to be intentional in the type of feedback that we're going to provide. But it also creates a different layer of safety for the one who is about to receive the feedback. Um, yes. Bringing those connections there a little bit, which is something that I've really uh, appreciated about working with this team is that, again, I mean, connecting with our other values and the constant talking about our habits and our intentions. Curious engagement here is also deeply connected to compassionate honesty. Like, why are you about to receive this honest reflection? And what is the impact on the person that you're going to share it with? Like, those are some of the questions to maybe even ask when we're doing compassionate honesty. Um, that, to be honest, I, I never really thought about until I, I really worked with this this gifted team about how to do that. It also becomes a code word, right? Like, it's like a, it's like a trigger. It's not, I mean, like, I don't know. I almost said that it's like a trigger warning, but it's not, that's what it, not quite what it is. But we will use this language to say, okay, I need to engage in some compassionate honesty. And then my experience is that we take a breath. And so somebody knows what's coming. And so what I have don't experience this team doing is I don't experience this team like slipping it in, in the backhand, Right. Or shocking Mm -hmm. people, each other with it. I feel like we're pretty upfront with each other about what's coming and what's going on. And that is why this value and making this value explicit has been so important. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it's hinting toward something that I deeply value with it, which is transparency. Right. Um, Yeah. And because you can't have trust without some open communication channels. And I think what this does on our team is it establishes open two-way, nine-way, ten-way channels for to share, like, compassionate feedback respectfully that we hope creates trust over time. And then... The other thing I was going to share is it also reminds me of the four agreements. Have y'all ever come across that? So this, it's a book, I believe, by Don Miguel Ruiz. And I just looked it up really fast, Googled it really fast. Um, And I think they all speak to, I think, kind of what we're talking about here. One is be impeccable with your word. Mm -hmm. Don't make assumptions. Um, What are uh, the other two, oh, always do your best and don't take anything personally. And we can, you know, take that for what it is. You can agree or disagree, but it just rem- it just reminded me of those four agreements, especially like the be impeccable with your word, which, which means going back to what you said earlier, Stacey, like have some sort of filter <laughs> for what you're going to say, like be really intentional and thoughtful about the feedback that you share with somebody. And claim your context, right? Like that brings it back to that contextual realities and that curious engagement, that piece about, okay, I'm saying this from from this perspective. And I can't, I can't kick what Nia, what you said though, about connecting this to safety. That's right. Um, Like, whether it's in your personal life or your your work as a leader or a member of a of a learning community or or an organization like really 
compassionate honesty, especially bringing compassion in front of honesty is, is about safety. And, um, and that's such a core component of just what it means to be human and to be able to be flourishing. Um, or as we talk about a lot, the common good. And so honesty is necessary, not only to help move us or fall forward, uh, or, um, or to bounce forward, or as one of our uh, thought partners and friends, Keith Anderson talks about is uh, calling forward instead of calling out. Uh, it allows us to do that. So others are safe, but I think it also allows us to, um, honor other people and their identities uh, that might be impacted by what we say. Mm-hmm. So at the Williams Duncan household, we say this a lot. Words mean shit. And we look up a words a lot. Like when we're like, you know, like that's one of our, our sayings. And I just looked up the word compassionate. Cause I thought, Oh, I've put this, we've put this qualifier in front of honesty. And I haven't looked at the definition of compassionate recently. And it's like, Feeling or showing sympathy and concern for others was the first definition from the Oxford languages. And um, I think that that in and of itself embeds that reality of acknowledging safety or not with the honesty. Mm. Is that if the concern for others is the way that we are honest then sometimes compassionate honesty is making sure somebody doesn't have to speak or doesn't have to answer a question mm-hmm. that you know would put them in a less than safe space. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're pushing my nerddom here, Stacy. The Latin of compassion did not look this up. I promise um, is actually means with suffering. Like our, is our honest approach going to allow us to enter into the suffering of another? Hmm. Or is it going to exploit it? Wow. Okay, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, what else needs to be said? You got that mic drop? You got, I mean, like, where are we going to go from here? Wait, wait, guys, that's a Presbyterian thing because they have to study so many languages to get ordained. (laughs) Like, most Episcopalians get to choose one, and Presbyterians have to study all the ancient languages. And so, like... (laughs) That is such a Presbyterian moment. <laughs> like that's ecumenism at its best in the Learning Forte team. And then get him tattooed on their arms, huh. right there, Latin. I know. I mean, he's got Latin ink on his body. Yeah, but it's true. Like the with suffering, and I, until you start talking about the origin of the word, Stacey, that I haven't even thought of it like that. And this is why this is a learning moment for anyone that's interested in doing a podcast. This is why you don't script your podcast because the podcast <laughs> right. alone can be a learning moment for your people. Yeah. Um, cause we did not plan for this conversation to come out and I had never thought about thinking about honesty. Like, is your honesty going to allow you to enter into the suffering of another person or is it going to distance you or exploit it? Yep. Like yep. that's crazy. Cause I think of so many times how I have had both happen and been also the one who has done the harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so difficult. So that leads to a, a, a question like, where have you seen honesty ignored to the detriment of leadership and the common good, especially on the other side of it, where have you seen it not done so with a layer of compassion? Man, this is like, I'm feeling real raw uh, at the end of the day here. So uh, it's, this goes back to transparency. And I have seen 
institutional uh, attempts to bury the truth and discount honest feedback or honest sharings of realities from historically marginalized or minimized voices. I don't know how to say this. I mean, I'm just going to say it the way that it's coming to me and somebody reframe it maybe. But I do feel like we end up with people in leadership who haven't done the work of, I'll say, earning their spot there. But I'm not really talking about earning worthiness or earning like a position. I don't know. I, I just feel like there are some people in leadership who want the power and want the decision decision making capabilities but haven't really you know done the kind of self-reflection that is most helpful to be the leader of a team Uh, i will tell you guys this is like the hardest this is a hard one as a leader of a team i mean and hannah's heard me break down on this before i think greg probably has too is like why the hell did I decide that I was going to like build a company that had this as a value? Because a lot of times it means like me coming up and being like honest about where I'm the one not living into it. I mean, and that compassionate honesty. I think that the other piece for me is that compassionate honesty means you have to have as much compassion for yourself as you do for other people. Um, I have used mantras throughout my life to sort of like make significant shifts in how I think. And one of the mantras I used right as I turned 30 and I'd been ordained for a handful of years was you can only be as generous to others as you are to yourself, which came out of my reflection of loving your neighbor, um, you know, as you love yourself and that scripture piece. And I think that we, as a, I, I'll just speak for me, I struggle with giving myself the compassion as I am honest about with myself more than I struggle with giving compassion to others when I'm being honest with them. But I think that that's a place in which this value is really important mm-hmm. is that it is a, it speaks to how we treat ourselves, which connects back to the embodied spirituality as much as it speaks to how we treat others. And I think Stacy, one of the things that's been really important for a lot of us on this team as well is affirming the importance of not just the organizational values that you're aware of, but going into your work aware of your own personal values. Um, Because when it comes to compassionate honesty, this is where I think your personal values get tested the most. Um, I think about the amount of times where I knew in different places of work that my personal values were being very strained. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't be quiet about this. Like, I can't not speak to this because it's like affecting the core of my being of who I am and my values and it's stressing it. And I need to speak to it in some way, shape, or form. And as I've gotten older, I've learned how to be more compassionate in those honest reflections that are strained on my personal values and um, and also recognizing just because they're my values doesn't mean they're someone else's. Um, but this is also the one, again, going back to safety, and I know that sometimes it's a privilege to say this, 
But compassionate honesty is also hard because sometimes that might mean the end of something. Um, mm-hmm. And that is really, really hard. And so then you have to make the decision. And I know some folks have the, the cost of being compassionately honest is way different than what it would be for me as a white cisgender male. Right. Like it's going to be very different than it would be for someone else. Um, and so that's where it makes us so hard, especially when we go back to the kitsch. Is it going to be the best policy for me, for my family, for my kids who depend on my income, like all mm-hmm. of those sorts of things? It becomes very difficult. Another aspect of this that I thought I had reflected on before we started recording was like how. I sometimes have resistance. Okay. Maybe not me. I have known people who have resistance to sharing feedback, honestly, because it might create some uncomfortableness, you know, but early on this team, I think I got a reputation for not being one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember like, maybe it was Hannah or or Greg was like, Oh no, she doesn't have any problem being honest, (laughs) you know? But I was like, but the compassionate piece is, you know, does not always come naturally to me. Um, back to kind of what you said, Nia, like (laughs) honesty is the best policy was pretty heavy handedly like drilled into me. Um, And I have found the times when it's been the hardest to be honest are the times that I've grown the most and I haven't really regretted it. But I also recognize that's from us where I, where I sit, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But yeah, I do think sometimes like certain people would be like, Oh, it's just easier not to really be honest about it. So I, um, this is also the hardest one for me. Not the compassionate part, but the honesty part in that um, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? Yeah. And um, so even if you have if you have hard feedback that you need to give someone, maybe the road like with less friction and less uncomfortable moments is to just not say anything, right? Because um, as a good little girl, like you're not to make waves, right? And this is something that I've really wrestled with um, being part of our kind of heads leadership team is that people are depending on me for my compassionate honesty. And it is a disservice to the other people on our team, to our clients and to Stacy, right? If I do not do that. And so um, that, that is something that I still wrestle with and that itchy moment will end. That itchy moment will end. And then the two people need to decide how they're going to move forward. Um, but yeah, I, I've never had, it is harder for me to do it now in a position with certain privileges and power within our company structure than it was when I didn't. Mm. Maybe, maybe one of the reasons we need this as a company is because there are times in which it helps some of us pause and ask, am I being compassionate with my honesty? And it pushes others to pause and say, am I being honest with my compassion? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the reason 
as we did this discernment that these two words ended up together. Yeah, because what you're saying there, Stacey, because in all honesty, if we're I not... I hear what you did. That was an accident. Actually, it just, <laughs> it just flows. <laughs> so compassion without honesty is actually, here you go, kitsch. If you think about it, it like if it's not authentic if it's not transparent if it's not reflective and honest it's it, it can cheapen the compassion that you're offering oh. um, is it really entering into the suffering if you're just going into it as like lip service um and and that's the hardest thing but also honesty without the compassion can be oppressive yeah But friends of Live, Learn, Repeat, this is not a dystopian podcast. So let's flip it a li- little bit. Where have you seen compassionate honesty go well? <laughs> when have you seen it really do the growth mindset? I have been wanting to talk about this because it is it is a point of pride um, that I have been feeling towards myself recently. So I have a very dear friend to whom um, I I'm a fan of Snapchat. I admit my I admit my youth in that I my face is kind of in social media on a, on a really constant basis. <laughs> and <laughs> my Snapchat streaks are very valuable valuable to me. And I don't even know what that means. My <laughs> What's a Snapchat streak? No, like, I know what Snapchat is. It means that, um, um, it's that I send, I, like, send a picture or a video on Snapchat every day. Mm. But back and forth, I both send one and receive one from the same people every day. Oh, gosh. And so I have streaks that are, like, hundreds of days long. I got it. And... She looked so, it up on her Blackberry. They are now immediately Snapchat someone. <laughs> Me too. I'm also on that, Was that a Blackberry, Sarah? No. <laughs> My Palm Pilot. Your Palm Pilot. <laughs> okay, uh, never mind. I'm not going to think about... I. By the way, one of my favorite things is um, like old phones, old cell phones. Uh, I have like three in my my drawer upstairs I could mail to you. <laughs> that that was a compassionately <laughs> honest silence. Nina looks really excited. That was a please. please. Yeah. No, 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 please send them to me. I want them. Uh, <laughs> um, so, a friend with whom I have a really long streak with um, is her response to a lot of the things I send to her um, are often uh, like the the at least or the silver lining views of like mm-hmm. where I'll say you will not believe this like I I just went and got you know the I got COVID vaccine one arm flu vaccine one arm and I'm feeling baby today and I'll send that and then what she'll say back is like oh well at least you're protecting yourself like at least you get to go home and be in your bed and for me having talked <laughs> about my upbringing and everything, I really struggle to hear that as a response to 
-hmm. when I want to sit in a place where like, I want to complain, I don't want to be strong, and I don't want to be really good at something I want to be taken care of, and I want to be baby. And so I, I pulled it together. And I said, Hey, not on Snapchat, I texted this friend, I said, Hey, can we um, have a chat about something I've been thinking about, about like our interactions? And we had a FaceTime in which I said, hey, the way that you respond to all of our communication is sometimes really hard for me to hear uh, right now. And if that means that, like, I also need to adjust and not complain as much to you, I can do that. Um, but I I don't want mm-hmm. to hear the at least. Um, and we had a beautiful conversation about that and I was like so proud especially because it was the first type of conversation like that in which I felt more outside of my like I pushed myself to think more about her as well um and also I was not nervous to have this conversation which really surprised me that is beautiful to hear you share that and one of the things that i think is fun when you do podcast communities is you get to learn the different dynamics of people who are part of the episodes and one of the things i'm really grateful for is how you bring so much down to earth into real life um so thank you thank you for for sharing that and intersecting it with how technology both in snapchat and in facetime and all these reactions that these hybrid experiences are where our values can also be intersected. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for doing that. That, that was powerful. So um, on a little bit of the lighter side, I want to just like share with our listeners that this is a cross-denominational conversation. And like, um, I've never said this out loud, but Nia could actually be our child if we had had a child our first year of marriage. Um, and one of the coolest things for me is that people who are in their 20s and 30s, and actually none of you are 40 yet, actually are willing to work for me and with me. Um, it's like, that's like my pr- moment of pride. Guys, we are going to have so many like 40th birthday episodes next year because there are three of us or so many of you that are about to turn 40 but anyway that's nice for you all man my body is feeling it though like like the last month i'm like oh my gosh this is what 39 is like i (laughs) the day that i turned 30 i got the flu i was like this is not good not good Okay, so what's the most compassionately honest thing someone's ever told you? Um, I think this is the point at which it had the most impact. And it's sort of funny because this person is somebody we continue to work with at Learning Forte, but um, a very dear friend who's incredibly significant in my life and my formation and my friendship and all across the board a few years out of seminary, we'd been in seminary together and she owned a lot of companies before she'd gone to seminary and was incredibly successful. And, um, 
had gone to seminary at a different point in her life than I did because I went in my 20s, um, we worked on a project together and she honestly told me, she said, Cece, you come in with preconceived notions of how you think things should go as far as curriculum and you're missing the best things that are happening creatively in a room. And went so far as to say, I need you to step back and not be part of this project. Um, and because she stayed connected to me, it probably changed me more than anything else and how I work. Mm, the relationship was not threatened. Right. And she was really, she took responsibility for circling back after that hard conversation and making sure that we like saw each other. Mm. And that was really important. I remember, I really appreciate this question, Sarah. Um, I remember when I was going through what's called CPE, for those of you who are not familiar, CPE is um, an approach or a, a part of the ordination process uh, for ministers. And I no longer serve in a congregational context and all that kind of stuff. But in my in my years in, in ordained ministry, um, this was a part of my preparation. And so I remember I sketched out an independent study version of it for a variety of reasons. And so I ended up working with two people I deeply trust, both who are women, one who was a woman of color. Um, and I was intentional to, to have them be um, kind of supervision roles of my CPE because most of my experience in leadership had been only in white male spaces. Um, and, and I also knew that that might have been the case if I would have done a traditional CPE. Um, and so I wanted to get a little bit more intentional about this so I can learn from others. And early into the process, um, one of my, um, supervisors who happened, who, who's a woman of color, she, she shared with me, she said, Greg, I think you're trying too hard to be someone you're not. And I was like, what do you mean? And she says, you think that you're called to urban ministry. She's like, it's a trendy thing for people like you to do that. And this is when I was in my early 20s. Um, and I still didn't get it. She says, and you're also shaming people who live in the suburbs, who were born there too. She said, you speak their language and you speak their language in a way that can drive them towards compassion and to stewardship and to shifting how they understand racial dynamics. She said, you're not called to work on the streets. She was so, and I remember it hurt mm -hmm. for a little bit, but the good kind of hurt, you know what I mean? Like where you knew that this was like something that was going to lead to a particular kind of healing. And it allowed me to redefine how I understood my own giftedness and my own sense of uh, collaboration that were aligned with my values. And, um, and I'll never forget that. Um, the way that she spoke is she says, you're good at talking to white people about the things that they need to hear. You're good at talking to white men about the things that they need to hear. Keep talking to them because they need to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. Um, that was like really, really hard for me to hear at that time. Um, but, and it hasn't been easy because those spaces have not always led to sustainable professional opportunities. <laughs> so mine is not career related. Um, so 
my husband and I, um, we moved around a lot. We moved in five places in five years. Um, and we really struggled to find somewhere that we were, could have a family that flourished and that was in the right spot. And during that process, we had a realtor who, um, we knew kind of where we wanted to live. And during our time with that particular realtor, we saw 78 houses. Wow. And finally we, we ended up buying a house that was not where we wanted, blah, 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 blah. And, um, we, we only lived there for 13 months because we became house poor and then we got, we had to move out. So we got a different realtor and we told her the same things. We said, this is where we want to live. You know, this is what we want to do. And she said, well, you can't have that. She said, I'm not going to waste your time and take you to see things when you can't afford to live there. So we can think of different ways and, you know, come up with some creative strategies to get you what you want. But what you're telling me, I can't give you. And I was really angry. Um, but as I started to appreciate that, I was more angry at the first realtor. Because if she would have told us that from the beginning, then that would have changed our whole trajectory of this whole saga. Um, but wow. that was like our first meeting with this realtor. She said... That's great. You can't have that. You have to find a different dream or we have to come up with a creative solution. Right. And that totally goes back to strategic imagination. I love how these are so interconnected. That's right. It lives it goes right in. Nia, do you have one? Sarah, do you have one before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I have one. Um, I have a historically pretty poor memory. So I... I have gotten used to writing things down uh, in my notes app, and I knew that I would look for this at some point. Um, but this was not something that was said like to me about me, but I have made it about me because we are <laughs> that is what we are so great at. Um, and my mom at one point said, Difficult things aren't always bad, and beautiful things aren't always right. Mm. Um, and I like to look at things that are difficult and paint them as bad, because then that means that I get to kind of flaunt the struggle of it, um, which I think is... You know, regardless of the fact that I believe that that is kind of the world painted on to me as as a young black queer woman. And I also I take advantage of that um, when it benefits me. And the confrontation of difficult things aren't always bad I I think about that mm. every day, every day. Yeah. Um, and beautiful things are not always right. I think mine goes back to uh, these were not words that were said to me, but um, like Nia, I grew up being the best at a lot of things, and 
I'm not the best dancer in my dance studio, which is like really good for me to not be the best in the room. It's also really good for me to like be humbled <laughs> in many ways. And so like every year we, uh, I dance in an adult contemporary jazz company. There's five levels of adult companies. This is a huge dance studio with lots of youth dancers and lots of adult dancers. And we re-audition every year. And like, I'm never, ever going to be in the top company. And like, for me to, to learn to be okay with that has been a journey. But I'm also, I'm like, I'm also 39, you know what I mean? Like there's some, some of that, but also like, even when it, even if I was 21, still wouldn't be in the top company. And so like, those are not words, but that is a compassionate process that like deep, depersonalizes in the best way, in the most compassionate way, feedback about me as a dancer. Well, friends, this has been a really, really intense and vulnerable episode to wind up this season of Live, Learn, Repeat. It's also been one of the most compassionately honest <laughs> ones. Uh, so grateful for each of you sharing uh, and having the right container uh, to be able to have these sharings. Hopefully our listeners and learners um, feel empowered, equipped and supported in their work. But we got to wrap it up with the last question of our which is always our favorite and our most playful show your kitsch be compassionately honest about your kitsch uh what do you got hannah go i brought a candle (laughs) i brought a candle um it's a halloween candle um (laughs) but here's the thing it's been sitting next to my tv since last halloween that's awesome (laughs) okay That's like awesome. the compa- the thing about compassion, like awesome. I am not the person who like decorates our house other than Christmas. Someone bought this for me and I lit it and that's great. And it never got put away because I am not that person. I am not. I, I just, I'm just not. And every time I pass it, I'm like, I should put that away. And then I don't. And I'm like, you know what? It's not hurting anything. It's going to be fine. And so this is a constant reminder of the mom and housekeeper that I am. <laughs> That's oh, man, awesome. <laughs> okay, so um, I do feel the need to preface this by saying we're talking about kitsch, okay? We're not. We're talking about kitsch in the world of values. And I'm gonna say that the kitschy thing that I have is um, on my laptop I have the stickers that say Black Lives Matter and You Are Loved with the um, many of the colors of some of the queer flags that we know and love. And I name that as kitschy because I feel like it has become the thing in people's front yards that, you know, they put there because they feel like they gotta or like their neighbor did and they don't want to seem bigoted. And and you just got to put it out there and let people know, hey, I'm, I'm one of the cool ones. Um, And because of that, I kind of, for a while, was like, oh, I don't want those. Because I lived that experience. I know that. But just to look at and be reminded of is like, oh, absolutely, these things are true. Mm -hmm. 
that. I appreciate you sharing that. Also, I will never sit next to you with my computer. <laughs> uh -oh. Do you also have I've stickers got a lot on your of computer? stickers on mine? <laughs> All right, my shirt this time is Give Em Hell, Kid. Yes! <laughs> and I feel like that is sort of the energy that I, if I were left to my own devices, I would bring to a lot of my honest reactions and uh, conversations is like, I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to like be honest. And I'm like, I think you said earlier, Stacey, like I'm going to shock them with my honesty. <laughs> and like this team has really helped me mature into my honesty and in the way that I receive and give feedback in like a really uh, mindful way. So thankful for that. Well, I do have a candle too, Hannah, just like yes! you. Yes! Cheers! <laughs> My, mine is, a, is actually a candle that is made out of an old crowler, a beer can. Beer can. Yeah, uh, that was filled out. This was purchased during the pandemic at a brewery that I enjoyed. Um, and they filled it with, I mean, it smells good. Um, it's uh, Harvest Festival is the uh, is the, the fragrance. And what was nice is actually this candle, uh, when you purchased them, um, it benefited the, the uh, development of the Harriet Tubman Museum in New Jersey, which I was uh, actually thrilled about. But on the front of it, it says, love your neighbor. You can't see it because you're on a podcast, <laughs> uh, but my colleagues can. It says, love your neighbor on it. And for me, when I think about compassionate honesty, it really boils down to that. Like, if we cannot be honest uh, compassionately, then really it's not loving our neighbor. So uh, that's really just a way that we can kind of uh, bring this in for our landing, friends. It has been an amazing journey uh, through our guiding values. Uh, it's a joint and privilege to be a part of this team. And our hope is that you as listeners would be um, feeling a sense of connection to, to this learning community called live learn repeat so until next season uh we'll see you around Woo! and find some kitsch yeah get you some kitsch bye-bye now bye, bye. thanks for listening to live learn repeat a podcast hosted by learning fortes stacy williams duncan hannah graham greg klimovitz sarah lawing and nia mckenney Executive production of this podcast is by Greg Klimovitz. Our audio production team is Nia McKenney and Sarah Lawn. Help us grow our podcast learning community by leaving us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and by sharing on your socials. If you'd like to learn more about Learning Forte and our various learning and leadership programs, consulting services, and digital platforms, check out our website at www.learningforte.com.